Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Good morning. Today's reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 13. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles to another, prophecy, to another, the discernment of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, through many, are one body, so it is with Christ." For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. The word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from the epistle to the Romans in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Listen now for the word of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, before I begin my sermon this morning, I just uh, want to address expectations. It is Confirmation Sunday, and we will, in due course, celebrate the confirmands. But uh, I want to encourage you not to expect my sermon to be just about confirmation. They are joining the church, the body of Christ, and so the sermon is for all of us, the church, the body of Christ. In what sense are we 
as Christians, alive. And after that, what does it mean for us as Christians to sacrifice? Paul calls us to be living sacrifices. These are our questions for today. And this concludes my introduction. (laughs) Perhaps the Apostle Paul is confused when he exhorts the Romans to be living sacrifices. After all, he has called them dead once already. In chapter 6, Paul muses about the life of those forgiven by grace. What shall we say then, he wonders? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Paul, in that chapter, is considering an argument that the Christians in Rome had begun to make. Their argument goes like this. If grace comes because of sin... Should we not endeavor to sin so that we would experience grace on grace? Do we, as Christians, get more grace by continuing to sin? Is the right way to experience God's grace through greater sin? And Paul's response, by no means, you have died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? When exactly, we might wonder, did these Roman Christians die to sin? Well, they died when Christ did. When Christ gave up his life as a ransom for many, when Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us and suffered death, even death on a cross. In the death of Christ, the Roman Christians died as well. Not dead to God, not dead to one another, dead to sin. And the same is true for us. All of us who have been baptized have died with Christ. Yes, baptism is a moment in which we are washed and we are cleansed of all unrighteousness, a chance to be made clean and new. But baptism is also a death. This is a church that sprinkles, and so sometimes the image is lost on us, but, but imagine immersion, going into the water as going into the grave, dying with Christ in that sacrament. In the Lord's Supper, we eat and drink Christ's body and blood. We take on his death. All of us who call Christ Lord, Lord, Share in, participate in Christ's death. We remain, of course, mortal. We will experience at some moment in the future the physical death common to all humans, but that death has, as Paul says, no sting. Death no longer has any power or capacity to separate us from God, to unbind us from God. It is a hollow, empty kind of death because we have already died. We have died to sin. We have died to the curse of 
evil. We are not bound, enslaved, or captive to these forces any longer. Christ, as we know and rightfully celebrate, did not remain dead. The third day he rose again to new life, a life that could no longer die. But Christ carries the scars of his death. He did not go back in time to live a life that did not die. His resurrection, to put it differently, did not undo his death. He lives as one who has died. He carries his death within him. And so for us who are knit to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, we too carry our death with Christ as we journey towards the age to come. We remember Christ's death in our sacraments as our own death and live in the light of that death which is ours. We live as those who have died. Which, to put it differently, is to say that we live in freedom. We are free. Free from the powers of sin and the curse of death. We live free from bondage to Satan, from the fear and anxiety and worry and hopelessness that marks the cosmos yet unredeemed. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and life to the full, free from Satan, sin, and death. We are free towards God in Jesus Christ, free to live for Christ, free to live for God which is how we were originally made. It is said, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. And because of our death, this is how we can live. As Christians, we live as those who have already died in freedom to love and serve the Lord. And we do this as a sacrifice. Sacrifice is at once simple and complicated. Simple in definition, to give up, to relinquish that which is in some way mine for the sake of another. Time, talent, treasure is the phrase, the kinds of things that that can be sacrificed. But it's complicated because we know that deeper definition of sacrifice, which includes death. An animal sacrificed on an altar to God and then burned, perhaps, or eaten. A soldier sacrificed for the nation. A son sacrificed for the father. Paul modifies sacrifice with the phrase living. A living sacrifice. I just described life, the kind of life that you and I share as Christians, with the phrase, as those who have died. How then do those who have died and are now living offer sacrifice? What does it mean for us 
to die again? Or is this a new kind of sacrifice that doesn't include death? To begin to understand this description of Christian life, living sacrifice, we must understand this phrase, already and not yet. Already and not yet. This is the phrase that we use to describe the life we live in between Easter Sunday and the return of Christ in the age to come. Already, because we have died with Christ and achieved victory over sin and death. Not yet, because the fullness of that victory, the consummation of God's rescue is still to come. God has saved us in Jesus, adopted us as sons and daughters, and we fully belong to God. The Spirit of God is at work within us. But we are not yet perfect. We are not yet complete. As Paul says in this passage, we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are not yet those perfect images of Jesus. We, having died with Christ and been raised with him, must continue to die to ourselves. To die to the desire that we have for sin. To die to the habits we have, which continue to turn us away from God. Our sacrifice is a daily death to all that is not Christ within us. Already Christ's, we are not yet complete and perfect. And so living, we must sacrifice. This is then the paradox at the heart of the Christian life, the paradox revealed on the cross and imprinted on all those who follow Jesus. The death of Jesus led to new life, a life that doesn't erase or forget the death endured, but a new life on the other side of that death, carrying that death in the scars of the hands and the feet, the memory of the mind, the body of the one who died. And we too died with Christ and live on the other side of death. But to live in God's mercy means living a life of daily dying. Daily sacrifice, dying to self, dying to the world, dying to all that is not holy and acceptable to the God who raised us from the dead. We know, of course, that we don't always live this way. We We err often in one of two ways. First, in trying to live without having died. And second, as living as those who have died, but without any further sacrifice. So the first way, trying to live without having died. Sometimes, in our journey towards Christ, we forget to carry the death trying instead to live the new life in the spirit without the scars of the cross. And for this, there is a phrase, cheap grace. Cheap grace. A grace that we can expect to come to us without cost. Cost for us or cost for God. Sin becomes trivialized in our hearts and in our lives 
in our communities. It's no big deal, we think to ourselves, or perhaps say to one another, if this sin is allowed to persist. We don't have to ask the hard questions about what is right, what is righteous, what is holy and acceptable to God, because God will just forgive us for whatever we fail to understand. We don't need to take seriously to hold account ourselves or one another for the sin we commit because God's grace takes care of it for us. The life, though, that we live in this cheap grace becomes shallow. Worship becomes unimportant. God has saved me. Uh, I've got the grace. Why do I need to continue with this Sunday morning ritual? Why bother to go down to sing and pray when the grace I need is mine already? Serving the body of Christ has no purpose for cheap grace. I've gotten what I need out of God. Why should I give any of that to someone else? Cheap grace is neither hot nor cold, lukewarm, and much to be pitied. When we live this way, and I suspect we all will at one time or another, corporately or individually, We have forgotten that we have died and so cheapen God's grace and our living. The second way that we can err, just as it happens that Christians live without carrying death to sin and death, it also can happen that we live as those who have died but without any further sacrifice. We may take seriously Christ's death and so not cheapen grace, but we fail to allow that death of Christ to become our own, to seek in our own lives, in every place, to allow the death of Christ to become our own. There is a kind of stagnation in these lives and in these communities. A reliance on God's grace to save, yes, but a half-hearted response to grow in the image of Christ. It is difficult work to let your life be a sacrifice. To turn to God again and again and ask what more, what's next. It's frightening to be open to what God might say, to make ourselves and our lives and our communities open to God's possibility. It is a sacrifice. It might not be that God is looking simply for you to give more money or more time to the church. It might be that God is ready to radically reshape your whole life, perhaps to leave something behind, a job that brings security and wealth and even self-importance, but it is not God's will for you, and so you must step out into the uncertainty and fear of following God's lead. 
or perhaps to bring something or someone in. Maybe God is pushing you to dive headlong into the heartache and difficulty of reconciliation, exhorting you to welcome someone who was once estranged. And it's not just for us as individuals, but as the church, as Knox, it very well may be that God is calling us to radically reshape our common life together, to walk away from the safety and security of the past successes of this church, to set aside ministries that we love, to imagine and reimagine the new work God is calling us to, to sacrifice, to offer a living, breathing sacrifice to the God who did it first. I'm going to close with a story. A friend of mine, who was my pastor when I lived in North Carolina, had a large family. He had six children with his wife. And many years ago at this point, his wife and he felt called to consider adoption. And they prayed about it, and they thought about it, and they came to know that that is what God was leading them to. And so they had to reorient their whole lives. They had to get rid of the minivan and get a 12-passenger van. They had to convert rooms in their house into bedrooms. And so after the three biological children came three more adopted children and they began this journey as a family. And that's where I met them with six kids, a house that was mostly bedrooms and a 12-passenger van. And wouldn't you know, there was a little girl in pre-K in the same county that we lived in that that family heard about as needing a home. And I had an interesting conversation with my pastor. I, as we talked about this little girl, as he let me know some of her story, I asked him what him and his wife were doing, and he said, oh, we don't, we don't have to talk about it again. We don't have to ask whether or not we will make space for this child. He said, 15 years ago, When we first said yes, that was our yes. That was a permanent yes. And now, this couple, their oldest is graduating high school, their youngest is in fourth grade, and they're going to bring a pre-K girl into their family. And they didn't hesitate. They didn't wonder. They didn't ponder. They had already so reshaped and reoriented their life to say yes to God's call, that it was no difficulty in continuing this sacrifice. And if you ask them about it, they would tell you, we don't know any other way to live. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, 
please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.